Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Digital Foundation Podcast Series. I'm Carrie Getz here with Sidekick Simon. How goes it, Simon? It's going great. Thanks, Carrie. Great. Yeah. How's it going with you? You finally moved. Awesome. Yeah, it's going really good here. Things are opening back up. I hear you guys are opening back up. We actually have an in-person event coming up this month. I can't believe it's August already. That's so crazy. That will be in Orlando, but it'll be nice to see people in the third dimension, although some of us might have a little more in the third dimension than we had before this COVID hit. <laughs> yeah, I, I heard that Levi Jeans uh, reckoned that over a quarter of their customers need a bigger jean size now. Not surprising. Crazy. I personally like the stretchy pants in that way. <laughs> you don't have to have skinny ones and fat ones. But anyway, so we did start something new. We've got some new chapters. Tell us about those. Well, thank you, Karen. Yep, yeah, we opened a new chapter in Hong Kong just last week with Raymond Tong from Sunny Vision as the anchor partner. In the next five weeks, we've got chapter meetings in India, Thailand, Nordics. And we've got a new new chapter opening in Poland which we're very excited about. And we have chapter meetings planned in New York and UK in the following few weeks. So a lot happening. They're still virtual. Uh, we did one in person in Australia in March this year. And hopefully we'll get back to more in person in the very near future. Fingers crossed by the end of the year in some parts of the world. And big news from the UK, Americans can now fly directly to the UK as long as it's been jabbed, which is great news. That's awesome. Yeah, so something else we started, we have a roving reporter, Dr. Julie Albright, who braved all of this craziness with where you get tested, what test you use, which vaccination you have to do a little bit of travel for us as our new roving reporter. Why don't you introduce? Sure, yeah. Julie met with Lars Shedden. Uh, Lars, as well as sitting on the iMason's Advisory Council and the iMason's Sustainability Committee, Lars is on the leadership team at Eco Data Center, which has been declared as the world's first climate-positive data center. Now, as we know, data centers in the Nordics have got the advantage of huge renewable energy resources, but Eco Data Center have taken sustainability to the next level. The data center is actually made of wood. They've also got practical ways to reuse heat all year round and an effective approach to scope three supply chain emissions, which is terrific and very inspirational. Julie also met the Eco Data Center COO, Dan Anderson, and board member, Jan Fallon, and she was asking them, what is their secret sauce? Over to you, Julie. Hi, Simon and Carrie. Well, I have to tell you, my journey to Fallon, Sweden, was kind of a fluke. I was researching the architecture of data centers for my next book I'm working on, and I stumbled across one, Hydro 66, in fact, that looked like a little red barn in the countryside. I showed it to a friend of mine, Brian, and he goes, that's Fallon Red. I said, what's Fallon Red? Well, unbeknownst to me or him, that opened up an entire world to me of discovery, innovation, and surprise. I quickly learned that Fallon Red paint is made from the tailings from the Fallon Copper Mine. The town of Fallon is a site of many innovations in both business, the arts, and engineering. Many of Europe's greatest buildings, including the Palace of Versailles outside of Paris, in fact were roofed with Fallon copper, making Fallon a power center in Sweden as the area flourished. 
Fallon, in fact, produced two-thirds of all the copper in Europe at its peak. The mine is owned by the world's oldest corporation, with a stock deed dating back to 1288. The end of the 1600s brought engineer Christopher Pollum to the site, where he created many groundbreaking innovations in mechanical engineering to mechanize production at the mine using green power. These range from water-powered pulleys, for example, to bring the copper up in buckets from deep below the surface of the mine, to wind-powered saws, almost a hundred years before the first modern factory was designed. Nearby Sunborn, Sweden was the home of artist Carl Larsen and his wife Karen, herself a talented textile and furniture designer. His paintings of their idyllic family life in their Fallon Red Cottage on the lake there created for Swedes their version of our white picket fence house and American dream. Several modern IKEA products, in fact, are directly modeled after her designs. Fallon is located in Dalarna County, home of the mine, also home to Mr. Linnaeus, who visited the mine and proclaimed it hell. <laughs> but he is the father of taxonomy. He's the one that named us Homo sapiens, for example. Dalarna County is also the home of artist Anders Zorn, a name you may never have heard of, but he actually painted many portraits in the United States, including three portraits of American presidents. These are just a few of the folks that are part of the history and fabric of Delarna County and Fallon in particular, which boasts a thousand-year history of innovation in STEAM, the sciences, technology, the arts, which I think is inspiring. This legacy is now carried on by the next generation, by the folks at Eco Data Center, who recently announced they've developed the world's first climate-positive data center. Here's Dan Anderson, the COO of Eco Data Center. We're in a very interesting area. Facebook, as we talked about yesterday, they established in yes. 2000. 12, 13, something like that, in the northern parts, Lulio, as we talked about. The data center we have up there in a place called Piteå is approximately one hour's drive away from that. So here we are located close to Facebook. If you look upon this region, here is Stockholm, and the archipelago where you met Lasse. Amazon established here, they're up and running. Gävle, Sandviken, that's where Microsoft, they are actually building now, will soon be ready for service with the first data centers. And Google are planning to open here in a small place called Hondal. So this is an extremely interesting area. Otherwise, those hyperscalers wouldn't have been here. And we think it's interesting to say we were here first. So I set off to find out more about this interesting area to discover the secret sauce behind their achievement as the world's first climate-positive data center, and to learn more about the Eco Data Center story. I first sat down with Lars Shedin, the former CEO and now senior advisor to Eco Data Center, to find out more. I asked him about the very Swedish concept of Lagom, 
and how it might play a role in Swedish sustainability. Here's what he had to say. I think that at the same time as Swedish people are talking about lagom, which is not too good, not too bad, it's something in, in between. At the same time, I think that Swedish people are fast in adopting new regulations and new ideas where early adopters and also in, in terms of sustainability. We take it seriously and I think that looking at my... I got three daughters and everything related to ESG like fair trade, equality, incorporations and environmental issues, it's extremely important to them. And yeah. I think that they have teached the older generations that this is important. So I think that it's very much what you call the millenniums. Yeah. They are the heroes in this story to a large extent because my generation is the bad ones. We are the bad guys. We are the ones that are wasting products, throwing uh, uh, products, etc. The new generation doesn't accept that. And I think it's they have taught us to understand the need for sustainability in a wider perspective. And they are willing to pay more for fair trade. And I think that's good. And I think, and I think that Sweden has been faster in adopting this idea than other countries. And looking at how much emissions does a Swede cause in average, and looking at Norway, for instance, they are our neighbors. A Norwegian causes 50% more emissions than a Swede. That's wild. It's strange. And look at Iceland with all these free power, etc. They are causing 100% more. Because it's also very much about the pattern of your, the way that you are living. And Sweden are good at that. Sweden is fascinating and particularly Fallon in that it has a thousand-year history of innovation, which is wild when you think about it. For being a relatively small country population-wise, Sweden punches way over its weight in terms of innovation. Why is that? Well, I think it's a $100,000 question, really. The reason why Sweden has been so good at developing new ideas I don't think it has anything to do with politics. I think it, it relates to curiosity, and, but that would go for other countries as well. I think we've been fortunate having companies, I think one company in general, Ericsson, was very, very... Influential, maybe? Yeah, in, in the 90s. A lot of ideas that was not accepted by Ericsson, they left and started up their own companies. And it happens to be some kind of incubator or was it a startup factory for a lot of new companies. And a lot of them were very successful. And suddenly engineering becomes one way in becoming very fortunate or successful. So it became a path for a successful way of living. And I think that more and more students started up their new businesses very early in their career. So I think that that pattern started and it became that more and more students realized that this is possible 
you don't need 25 years of experiences to become successful. You, you can do it straight from the university or one or two years. Of course, there has been thousands of failures at the same times, but there is a lot of successful technical companies from Sweden these days. Eco Data Center recently announced they're the world's first climate-positive data center. First of all, congratulations. That's a massive achievement and very exciting. So I'm sure our folks would like to know, how did you achieve this? What's the secret sauce? But the fact is that the heroes behind this idea from the very beginning is the municipality of Fallen. Oh. Yep. How so? Because in, I think it was the year 2012, they started an idea to digest the possibility to create an ecosystem between data center generating a lot of heat with the district heating system. But the idea was originated by the municipality. But it's all thanks to the municipality that they started this. So, so it's very much that the municipality are heroes, that they are so innovative and willing to invest into this. So part of Eco Data Center's secret sauce in becoming climate positive is a wood pellet factory located next door to your data center. How does that work? Imagine that the lorries go out in the forest taking all the branches and all the barks or whatever it is. Pellets is sawdust, pressure and heat. And during the fall and winter, you sell the pellets to homes that are not, that are not connected to the district data system. So if, if they're not connected to the district heating system, they would need to burn oil instead. But with our pellets, they burn the pellets instead of oil. And you know that if you burn pellets one kilowatt hour, you cause 17 grams of emissions. If you burn oil with the same energy, you cause 800. So 17 and 800 is a great, great arbitrage. Yeah. So, and that, that's one of the main components in how we become climate positive, because we inject our heat from the data center into this pellets factory when the heat is not needed into the district heat. Because these days, today, you don't need the heat. Then we, we produce pellets instead. And that is something that no one has done before. Mr. Shidin went on to talk about how Eco Data Center represents a new way of thinking about data centers, that it's designed to be part of an ecosystem rather than as a standalone project. It's quite digital meets analog in the same. Yeah, it is. Yeah, that's correct. Correct. It's correct. And, and it's so basic. But still, no one has done it before. And I think that there has been so much investment in the old generation of data centers that they, they can't really migrate into the new generation without investing huge amount of... So what I see now is that some of the, the big players are leaving certain data centers and building up new ones with huge costs attached to that. And I think it's all due to that the old generation of data centers can't really cope with the new generation. It's two different animals. 
in terms of the people and their, in, their mindset, no in, in terms, in terms of, of no in terms of the design and the technical ins installation in the olden generation of data centers are not into an ecosystem they are not and to to create the ecosystem in a rear it's extremely costly yeah yeah you, you can't really do that you can't really do that i next took a train up to falun to see the mine and tour eco data center for myself which is located within walking distance of the mine I met there Jan Fallen, who is the site manager for Eco Data Center, is also on their board of directors. And he talked about how the energy the data centers consume and how, in many instances, they're using the power that was used by Industry 1.0. Take a listen. So where you have these large logistics of data, you have huge societies. That's my thinking. <laughs> it's right. It's amazing. I mean, I th that's exactly right. I think it's exactly that. Right. It's just mind blowing to think about it mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. yeah. But I think it's going to happen. It's just a matter of time. But but because it's a different kind of logistics. Yes, because because if if you see five hundred megawatts here in Dalarna, what have you got now? Today we have in the fall we have we don't produce that much, but we have capability to have around 100 megawatts in Poland and in our sister city here, Borlenje, we're going to have 250 megawatts and that's really a paper mill closing down now and they have, they use a lot of energy yeah. to creating paper yeah. tomorrow or from now you're going to use that energy because it's a, it's the same needs really that process industry for a data center really, and that paper mill is connected to that local energy system too. Right, right, right. Yeah, so it's 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 a good match there. I took a walk around the Eco Data Center campus with Chief Operating Officer Dan Anderson, and I saw the pellet factory located next door and the utility company on the other side. And it really is part of an ecosystem and right next to the town. The heat that are produced here can also be used for the pellets plants. But in the winter time, there is not, a, not enough of excessive heat here. It goes down into the city, so they have to shut down the pellets production. But if you then add a data center into this system, you can actually use the waste heat from here and they can continue to produce pellets. To produce pellets, if they need 10 units of energy, nine of the units are actually warm air and the 10th is electricity to running mills and stuff like that. So the first two megawatts is to preheat the air that are used when you're producing pellets. So it makes the production more efficient. The next six, seven megawatts is to for drying the pellets when they are being pressed through all the machines there. And the last one is to running the facility. So without any additional energy, we are sending the warm water here to produce pellets. And if you look upon wooden pellets, it's like a battery. 
you store energy, then when you burn it, you use the energy. Many people think that latency might be a problem, having your data all the way up in Sweden. But Dan talked about why there's less need for low latency than most people think. There's a lot of talk about latency. Um, we think often has the technicians, they don't tell the full picture to the management to say there is a large need for low latency, but there's actually a very small portion of, of the applications that are very sensitive for low latency. The edge thing, you know, cars driving in cities, and then you have to be very close with the data that is being processed live. But otherwise, the vast majority of, of the data will be transferred to places like this, and the latency is no problem at all. German BMW, you know, they're down in Munich, and that's a fairly uh, long way from here. Services we talked about earlier, and... If we try to combine everything I, I've shown you today, so we think the sustainability, uptime, connectivity, security, and AI, I haven't talked a lot about that, but all the data center here is prepared for what we talked about yesterday, liquid cooling and so on, because all what's happening is the density is going to be higher and higher and higher, and there will be liquid cooling. It's not a question of if it's only when and we'll have a proof of concept together with Schneider Electric and a British company called uh, Isotope. Isotope so we'll have that up and running in August or the latest September this year 45 kilowatts of density in one rack which is more or less double that we can handle with air cooled Jan then talked about how Sweden fits into the bigger digital infrastructure picture of what he calls the macro view. So really, because when you mix a data center or this energy hub, you, I don't know what you have been talking about now, but it's, you see some parts that isn't obvious from the beginning. Of course, we can reuse the heat and so on. But other things as an energy hub, since we store a lot of energy here in batteries and so on, what have you told them about that? Yes, yeah, and of course we can sell it. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, and you don't. It is definitely. And have you told about the district cooling system? Yes, good, because that's another way. You know, we can use the district cooling. You know, you produce cool with heat, be it with absorption chillers or pumps, really. And that's really, you have to go into this really, and you learn about this by cooperating with, for example, here, the energy company, and put these pieces of puzzle together. My visit with the folks at Eco Data Center wrapped up with Jan looking to the past, where we got our information off of paper, largely. And then he mused about the future, where more and more of us will be looking at devices. He talked about, as we move from an industrialized world into a digital one, and our energy demands grow, that moving toward a sustainable, circular economy will be key.
You can see near us here, I think we talked about this yesterday, we have a paper mill, a huge one. The hugest one in Sweden, they are shutting it down now. Yeah, and it that paper mill needed a lot of power. And that paper mill made paper for newspapers, really. So really, where do you read news now? You don't read it in a paper. Well, some of us do, but uh, not tomorrow. We read it in our devices like the iPhone, our iPads, or, or whatever device. And this is really happening now. So it's natural that they shut down. But the next generation, the generation to come, they need even more power and so on. And then we have to be responsible for the climate and so on and really to reuse it and use it to circular economies as we were speaking about yesterday and so on really and to integrate with others really because a data center can't do that alone but we can integrate and network together to build this and that's really important. Jan wrapped up by imagining a world where data centers can really be a hub in a circular economy to create a resilient, sustainable world. And as we were speaking about yesterday, tomorrow, not tomorrow, tomorrow, but tomorrow in a couple of years or something, we're going to have to build energy for the data center. And then we will build energy for more things. And then it's really an energy hub and you're going to create societies around where you have energy and so on. And if you have a circular economy with greenhouses, fish farms, whatever, you have this, as you were speaking about, your pillars, resilience and so on, and in a regional or local way. Wow, that was super interesting. Thanks so much for that, Julie. And sustainability is one of the pillars we have here at the Infrastructure Masons. It brings together, without a doubt, the best of the best tech communities. We'd love to have you guys join. If there's not a chapter where you are, please reach out. You know, we can help you sort that out. But for all of you listening that are not members, you can go to imasons.org and join. If you're a student, please check out our scholarship opportunities. That is also one of the big giving back initiatives that we have and try to get more people in this industry. It's just, like I said, the best of the best in tech. So for those of you listening, thanks so much for your time. We look forward to hosting you on another edition of the Digital Foundation podcast series. Have a great day.